And so I chose the second option, not to be noble or, or any anything like that, or not because it was romanticized danger and, you know, the unknown, not, not so that anyone would, would think higher of me, but because I knew that if, if I was going to be able to stand before the Lord one day and open up this book right here, this book of, of, of words that we call the gospel, the good book. And if I'm going to open up to the book of Acts and I'm going to read it, if I'm going to insert my life as our friend Francis Chan says, could, could I insert my life inside of this book and it still read well? Welcome, everyone. Today, we are blessed to be joined by a special guest that works in Access Challenge Nations. For safety reasons, we are unable to share her name, and this episode will only be released in audio format. It really is an honor to speak with people who are putting their lives on the line so that those who live in challenging places can hear the gospel. We had a great conversation about her life and ministry. We talked about the biggest obstacles for Gen Z and millennials when it comes to ministry. She shared with us how she ended up working in Access Challenge Nations, what impact that decision has made on her life, why we should follow the call of God wherever it leads, and much more. This conversation is sure to be a blessing to you, but I also want to encourage you to share it with a friend so that it can impact more people. I just wanted to highlight those who listen to the podcast on Spotify before we get to the conversation. We recently surpassed 1,000 followers on Spotify, and we are closing in on 100 five-star ratings. Last I saw, we only needed three more to eclipse 100. Thank you for following us over there and for taking the time to rate the show. We really are grateful for you. Now, let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Greg, for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. (laughs) Well, I have very much been looking forward to this. And uh, a mutual friend of ours got us connected and so grateful to be able to chat with you here today. Uh, I like to start off these conversations. And again, uh, the nature of this conversation is we can't divulge too much. Um, but I do like to start out these conversations by uh, the guests sharing a little bit about their background, their story, how how they came about to their worldview. So as much or as little as, as you are able to share, would you mind sharing with us a bit of your story? Absolutely. I was born and raised in a part of America that we uh, lovingly, most of the time, refer to as the Bible Belt. Um, it's the southern part of the United States. And Growing up there was was very interesting. I didn't know this at the time, but I do now that I live in a different part of America. It's very um, politically biased. It's pretty much biased in every way uh, because the South does have the best food and it has the best <laughs> this and the best that. So, so, so it is biased in that way. Um, I'll probably refer to this a little bit later, but I saw that really come out whenever September the 11th, 2001, the events that transpired then, whenever that all came out, um, the South really showed their American pride, their patriotism, and unfortunately a lot of their bias, um, in reference to people of the world that I had never known before. And so that was, that was interesting and that shaped my worldview, unfortunately, 
for the first part of my life. Um, but just lighter things in that, how we grew up, um, we ate a lot of crawfish probably every weekend that it was in season. We made a lot of stuff in the kitchen. Um, it was, we, we were all probably Michelin star chefs in our own eyes and in our own way. Um, but we loved good food, good music, good, just a good time together. Um, I loved basketball. I just loved laughing, having a great time. Um, loved sports. It's a very sports driven area, whether it's outdoor, mm-hmm. indoor. Um, we all thought that we were Olympians every time that the Olympics would come <laughs> around, you know. So so that's that's kind of how I grew up. But I, I grew up around a lot of love, laughter, and a lot of fun and excitement. Yeah. And and obviously I, I believe you grew up in the church as well. Yes. Uh, as far as um that goes. And you come from uh, a family of ministry, mm-hmm. ministry focus, uh, you know, full-time ministry. Not, you know, We believe in the generality of ministry that everyone's called to ministry to some degree, to service. Um, but uh, within your own family, there, there seems to be a, a deeper calling. Um, and I like to ask this question to people who have that sort of background, because I grew up uh, in, a, in a church home, grew up in church and so on. So my dad was called, my, my mom was involved. Um, but I had to come to a point where I had that experience for myself. So when when did that happen for you? Uh, at what point did it transition from a family thing, a community thing, to uh, more of a personal thing? That's a great question. I, I did, as you referenced, I, I did grow up in a large church, and my dad was a pastor in that church. Um, I grew up around very strong women. Um, my mother is a, is a very strong woman. I wouldn't necessarily say that she's a strong personality, as that is commonly perceived. Um, she's wildly creative, wonderful. I, I hope to be half as, as good of a woman as she is one day. But she had a study or a learn, excuse me, um, a love for studying and learning the word of God. And of course, my father was a pastor. He preached and I grew up around strong women that did teach the Bible, but I I didn't have a clear view of anyone who preached as far as like a woman. Um, And if I did, if I did see that, I would see them as significantly older than me and not anywhere remotely close to, to my age. So we were in, uh, we had an opportunity to go overseas into uh, the former Soviet union. And it was, it was during a time that was close to the end of, the Cold War, I would say, maybe, maybe a little post, a little, a little bit afterward. Um, I'd have to, I'd have to uh, pause and hit Google and, and see if, <laughs> see, see the exact years there. But um, I was a nine-year-old, and they really took a chance on bringing me there. And I'll, I'll never forget that it was just free enough to where we could pass out like tracks. You know, please come and and be with us at this event that we're having. And the woman that was with me, um, I was just a, a member of the team. I was with her, and I remember we would be passing out these tracks, and the people that would receive them would look at them, and then they would throw them away, like in you know the grate on the side of the road, like in the sewer system, or or in the trash, or wherever. And as a nine year old, that really gripped me because, again, growing up in you know the Bible Belt that I was talking about in in the South of the United States. You just didn't see people, first of all, reject the word of God or reject 
the Bible or church or anything like that. And if you did, it never was that direct. And so something began to, yeah. to prick my heart of, of like, okay, these people don't want Jesus. Like it was, you, you'd, you'd heard these stories about people that didn't want him, but then to see it, you know, as a nine-year-old, like clearly rejected. And so that, that started stirring in me and something happened to me in that country. And I can't say that I necessarily received a call for missions or a call for, um, Russia, you know, or, or even Russian speaking Mm -hmm. people. Um, but I, something happened. I definitely received a, a burden for people and not just the people that I had grown up with. So fast forward a little bit until I'm 14, there was a conference at the church that I grew up in and there was a message that was preached about, about how callings weren't just, you know, five things. Like sometimes in our denomination, we think that it's just a handful of things that you can be called to do. Mm. And this particular yeah. sermon was, you know, talking about how it can be anything, just do it for the to the best of your ability and for the glory of God. And I went up to the altar and I remember just raising my hands and saying, God, whatever you want me to do, like whatever you want me to do, even if I've never thought about it before, I want to do it. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you will be speaking by the time you're 15. And Mm. at the point of time right there, I was like, well, God, you've got six months because I'm going to be 15 in six months. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, at at that point in my life, I didn't register that God created time. So he could really do whatever (laughs) he wanted. (laughs) He was not inhibited by what he created. So, so um, over the course of events, I had a Sunday school teacher that really believed in me. I honor her to this day. And she called me probably a month, a month or so before I was to turn 15. And she said, I think you need to, to preach at at this um, retreat that I'm doing for students. And so I said, okay. And I, and the Lord just quickened me and, and said, it has begun. So that's, that's Mm. kind of how I started. That's amazing. Yeah, it is interesting. uh, Cause I grew up in the States as well. It's, it's quite interesting going to countries where uh, they're really not open to Christianity or not even like Australia would be considered a Christian nation, but society as a whole is very secular. We're, we're very similar to, uh, Western Europe, I would say Eastern Europe's even worse, but I would say Western Europe, we're probably more similar to where we, we still identify with Christianity, but as a whole, there's like, yeah, you do your thing. We're happy doing our thing. And it is a very, it is very confronting. I grew up in Missouri. So, you know, uh, that's, I don't know if that's Bible Belt, but it's pretty close. (laughs) Everybody was in church. There's churches on every corner, you know, everyone goes to church. Um, and so that, that, that has always been something that has been a, a bit different, but yeah. Um, Awesome story. I, I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give someone who feels a call to ministry? This would be any age, um, if they're feeling a call to do something more. I talked about this recently with some friends, um, because we there's a group of us that, and we'll probably get into more of it later, but there's a group of us that feel uniquely called to something that almost doesn't have a pattern or plan other than Caleb and Joshua in the Old Testament. And, mm-hmm. and we've asked ourselves often, like, how did we get here? Like, we are just the, 
the ragamuffin group, you know, of, of, I guess, I don't know if this is okay to say on this podcast, but like the Goonies, you know, of, <laughs> of this operation, like how in the world did we all get, get here, you know? And, um, and I said to them, I, I feel like it, it was in this particular conversation, this group of friends, it was, it was a divinely um, touched moment, I think. And, and I asked them, I said, do you remember your first big yes? You know, like your first mm. big yes to God or your first. And we all started thinking and we couldn't remember our first big yes. We, we only remembered like what now in hindsight we think are little yeses, but they were big at the time. And so my advice would be to anybody who feels called into ministry, just say yes. Just say yes. Mm. If, you know, if someone's asking you to be involved in children's ministry, you say, no, I'm not called to children's ministry. I'm called to be the bishop one day. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's totally fine. But before you can be a bishop, you you have to learn how to oversee people. And these are just little people, yeah. you know? So you know, <laughs> why not start here? But the little yeses turned into medium-sized yeses along the way. And then they turn into mm. large yeses and extra large yeses. And now I, I'm in um, the process of actually saying yes to a trip that 15 years ago would be a mega, ginormous, huge yes that I don't know if I would have been able to say if I would have just mm. said little yeses along the way. Um, I encourage everyone, if you feel called to ministry, please know where your janitor closet in your church is, where the vacuum cleaner is, where the mop is, where the broom is. Um, the, the phrase, that's not my department should never leave our mouths. It should, mm -hmm. it should never leave our mouths. We should, we should always have this, this ability or this, uh, posture even to walk into our home churches and say, how can I help? How can I help? There's no job that's too big for me, you know, and it's not a, mm -hmm. a magical, you know, fairy godmother, one, two, three step plan. If you do this, then you'll, you'll get this. It's just preparing the nature of servitude in our hearts and emanating from us because I can guarantee you that whatever you want to be, wherever you do want to end up, it is still going to require that basic set of skills of whatever you will provide or whatever God will develop in you. And it will always require a yes, big or small. Yeah, that's that so good. Uh, cultivating an attitude of servitude. Uh, we, I was just talking about this last night in a small group at a, a church I'm planting, and uh, we we got a small group together, and we were talking about uh, you know serving, and um, and going through like uh, I was saying because the 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 curriculum sort of coming from the perspective of a large church where you can sort of find your space to serve, mm -hmm. and I said that's really cool, uh, but where we're at right now. <laughs> You kind of just have to help wherever it's needed. <laughs> right. That's a great input. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, that's that's good stuff. Like, yes, you know, you have your perfect place of service. But right now, like, we just need just anything yeah. <laughs> it would be great. Yeah. Uh, over time, it, it will develop. And as you said, those yeses get bigger. But you don't really see it. I've I've experienced that this year, where there's just been, uh, you know, I was talking about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's you know, it's like there's like this propulsion that's taking place. It's like there was this years of of serving, years of doing 
uh, what was needed, you know, what was required at the time, um, growing, learning, serving, doing all that. And then there's just been a, uh, a, a, a guy far wiser than me. He calls it moments of acceleration. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, there's these moments of development and then there's like these moments of acceleration and you, you'll never be ready for those if you're not developing to get to that point. Right. I, I wanted to ask you this. So we talked about it generally about someone who feels a call to ministry, but I wanted to ask you specifically about millennials and Gen Zers. Um, you, you have a powerful ministry ministering specifically to, to uh, those groups of people. I wanted to ask you, what do you feel is their biggest obstacle? What's the biggest obstacle that they're facing when it comes to fulfilling the purpose of God in their life? Um, I, I claim to be a millennial myself. So, so that <laughs> does, as well. yeah. <laughs> that does give me a little bit of, of an upper hand on that question. Um, I would say Gen Z though, Greg, I don't know what your, uh, your view in Australia is like your visibility, but wow, like here in America, um, they are so sharp and can see right through fake. Uh, they mm-hmm. blow my mind. Um, I think that their biggest distraction though, excuse me, or hindrance would be distraction. I think that, um, with TikTok, the way that they are, their brains are simultaneously trained, you know, social media, different things. I think that their capacity, um, I don't know the science for it, but I I think that their capacity is stretched, but also limited Mm. in, in a very Mm. unique way. Um, I see passion in the in the Gen Z movement or the Gen Z generation more, maybe more so even than millennials. And I, I'm I'm so sorry, millennials. I don't want you to send me your hate mail. Um, it's, just, <laughs> it's just a compliment. They are very hungry for the real things. Like they, I will talk to them and they will say, "Okay, so in the Book of Acts, this and this and this happened. So where have you seen that happen?" And they're like taking notes ready, ready for it because they Mm -hmm. want to know, like, if, if it's in there, then I want to see it right here, right now. Um, I do believe that with millennials, maybe backing up a little bit, I think that a lot of, um, a lot of the things that they struggle with might be like hindrances as far as getting involved in ministry would be fear of commitment and fear of rejection. Mm. Um, Maybe and, or maybe in, in the same breath. Um, I think that a fear of rejection is huge of, they, they don't want to be rejected by the leaders that they're serving. Um, and that, that can be, you know, picked apart and analyzed several different ways. Um, fear of commitment. I mean, there's, there's a big FOMO element there, but there's also a a fear of committing to the wrong thing because what Mm. if I, you know, throw all of my energy into this cause and then I get rejected by it. With both generations, I will say the biggest thing that that is a little concerning to me, um, and I, I don't say this arrogantly or, or detached at all, um, but something that I'm really talking with with both generations through is they do not know the voice of God. They do not know what the voice of God sounds like, and social media has made it very easy for them to walk with people that walk with God instead of walking with God. It's made it very palatable for them to say, well, this preacher had this revelation and I saw it in 30 seconds. And so I've got it. And I guess that's what I'll do like with the rest of my life. And I'm not coming against reels or social media or anything like that. I'm not coming against (laughs) that. 
I'm just saying it's very easy for us to um, get a view into that influencer's life. We can now subscribe into influencers and, and different things with this exclusive content. And I think that unfortunately we are starting to mistake other people's walk with God for our own. And so mm. that's one thing that I'm, I'm really um, burdened for with, uh, with both of our generations that are, that are fused together because I know that once millennials and Gen Zers start hearing the voice of God, they're going to be unstoppable because who can mm. argue with someone that says, God told me yeah. like, who can argue with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a very a, a big positive, but it can also be a negative when it comes to pastoring. Yes. It's very <laughs> difficult to, <laughs> yes. to argue with people who say, God told me. Yes, um, it is. But yeah. Yeah, but I I completely agree with you. Uh, there needs to be that that development um, and that understanding of the voice of God in their own life and, and clear direction. And uh, you highlighted I'm a millennial, and, and highlighting fear of rejection is massive. You don't want to be rejected by your elders, but you also don't want to be rejected by your peers. Right. And uh, having to overcome that is an, an obstacle, but we must overcome it. If we're, if we're going to be used in the capacity that God wants to use us, we must overcome it. Right. Or um, a whale could come and eat us. Yeah. You know, we could deal with yeah, that Yeah, exactly. Way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you talked briefly about how you had this experience when you were nine years old, um, and then ultimately you went down this path. A lot of small yeses led to uh, you getting involved in Access Challenge Nations or ACN. Um, how how did you actually come to being involved in that and saying yes to that involvement? So that is a wild story, uh, wild to me. Maybe not wild to anyone else, but I, I will just I will just take the badge that it that it was indeed wild to me. Um, earlier in my early twenties, I committed six five to six months in the Philippines to doing mission work in the Philippines, and I truly thought, Greg, that I was called there. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was going to live, breathe and die. You know, um, mm -hmm. I and to this day, my first love is Asia. I named my dog Asia um, because of it. And I loved it there. And I will never forget one day again, like, you know, the, the background of my life coming from the Bible Belt. Um, we went into an area of the Philippines that. Well, actually, let, let me let me back up. During the time that I was in the Philippines was the time that the United States government had um, assassinated Osama bin Laden. And so that news had rushed the world. Um, mm -hmm. And there were a lot of um, extremists that were obviously upset about that all over the world. And so that posed a, a bit of a threat, um, where we were in the Philippines. And that was, uh, that was a very interesting time. We were told like, you know, sometimes don't go out of your homes, like just, just lay low for a couple of weeks. We'll bring groceries to you, you know, things like that. And, um, and that happened. And then me being just, I'm going to say ignorant. And that's a polite word. Like, I don't mean that as a rude word. That's a very polite description for what I was at the time. I truly just mm -hmm. was young and free and, and whatever. Um, I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. You know, it can't be that bad. Let's all just go to the market. And that was like wrong on, you know, four levels. And if any of my host missionaries are listening, I sincerely apologize again. Um, but... <laughs> 
but we, I went out with with some friends and we went to this market and they looked at me and they said, have you ever been in Muslim town? And I said, no, I've, I've never been. And I hadn't even really been around Muslim people um, until that point. And we went into a concentrated area where it was it was um, majority uh, Muslim inhabited and there were there were Muslim um, families, shopkeepers that that's just where they had settled. And I remember feeling this stark contrast because I, in that nation, I already stuck out like a sore thumb. And in Mm -hmm. that particular area, I knew I was sticking out like even more like a sore thumb. And I just remember the faces of these people that the world has said they are dangerous. And all I felt was kindness. All I felt was hospitality. All I felt, I felt a little bit of fear from them, not in myself, from, you know, from them, because it was a volatile time in the world. And I, I enjoyed thoroughly my time there. And that got into me that, that just, that really started sinking into me. And I would, I would stay up at night, even whenever I came back from the Philippines and I would think about them. And every time I would see Muslim people, I would, I would try to just engage in some sort of, of conversation with them. And then finally, one day, um, one of the friends that you have had, on the podcast, he reached out, his wife reached out to me and said, Hey, we're in town and we would just like to have lunch with you. We hear that, you know, you know about American teenagers and we have to speak to American teenagers. So, you know, would you like to just tell us what they're like? And I was like, Oh, sure. I'll do it. I didn't know where they were missionaries to. They didn't know that I was Mm -hmm. a missionary to the Philippines or like did missions work to the Philippines. They didn't know anything like that. So we sit down and that was one of the first things that came up. And we were there for like three hours just talking and exchanging burden and listening. And by the end of that, we had not talked about American teenagers one moment of the conversation. <laughs> um, but by the end of that, she looked at me and she said, you have got to come and and with us and mm. see our people. And I'm like, absolutely, I'll do it. So it was, I don't know if that was a medium size yes or a large yes. I don't know because the little yes of already moving across the world to people that I loved had already been completed. Like that step had already mm-hmm. been completed. Yeah. And so they contacted me again and they said, we're going into a nation that we've never been into before. And we're just going to pray and see what we find. And I was like, that sounds easy enough. Again, like I had no, no, I, I didn't know the difference between Muhammad and Allah. I had no idea, like a simple Google search would have done me well. And they asked me to come. I had never even spent any time with these people before. And we just walked around the city and, and prayed and God led us to, oh, I can't even, we don't even have time for all of the things that God led us to see and the connections that we made just on that trip. And that was the trip, Greg, that really dispelled all of the myths of danger, of prejudice, of racism, of all of these things. And I realized very quickly, it really is that easy to book a ticket and get on a plane and go love people. It really is that easy. Yeah, yeah, we we put up a lot of barriers that don't necessarily need to be there mm-hmm. out out of fear and and some of it's out of caution. But uh, yes, it's definitely some things that that we've constructed in the West um, around certain groups of people right. that make it even harder for us to reach. And then they and then they respond in kind. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, 
What, what are some of the biggest adjustments that you've had to face because, because you said yes to uh, being involved in ACN? Sure. Um, social media, uh, for one. Um, and I'll, I'll step back. I, I'm, I'm trying to, well, I'm trying to gauge right now. No, I, I won't go there. Um, I'm, I'm trying to keep your followers subscribed to your podcast and not <laughs> your podcast. There, is, <laughs> there was a, a moment where I had to realize it again, like with much conversation of my leaders that yes, Americans might have freedom of speech and freedom of this. And, and even that is relative, you know, some people believe that we don't and, you know, all of those things, I won't go into all the amendments and all that, all of that stuff, but with just this broad understanding of freedom of speech in America, we have freedom of expression. We have freedom of religion. As of right now, we have freedom of, of so many different things. And unfortunately I feel strongly that that has bled into um, American freedom being prioritized over Christ's responsibilities for us. Mm. And so that, and I, I, I see that bleeding through our social media. Um, I see that bleeding through our political opinions and getting into senseless arguments on Facebook and, you know, just, just different things with that. But I had to make an adjustment about how I am going to um, have freedom of expression or live my life because Jesus never lived his life isolating any group of people. He didn't. He, he didn't do that. Yep. And the fact no. that the tax collector, Matthew, and Simon the Zealot could sit around the same campfire with him should be a pattern for us of how to live politically, mm. peacefully, you know? And so so with when it comes to adjustments that I've had to made, make, excuse me, I've had to make them in my um, view of freedom, my freedom mm. of opinion, my freedom of expression which does come on social media. You know, the, the farther I get into this, the less I have a political party or affiliation or anything. And I know that that, you know, might upset some people. Um, but I just, I never want to put an opinion out online that would exclude someone from seeing God through me ever. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I've had to, to really, really focus my mind on. Again, limiting social media because of um, the underground churches that I am a part of. I, I don't appear overtly um, anything. Um, I, I probably appear very apathetic on the internet. Um, I've contemplated just getting rid of all of it completely. Um, but I, you know, I, I do like to keep up with old friends, so I'm not here like preaching against it and telling everyone to delete it. <laughs> what I'm saying. But I've, I've had to make those adjustments um, and also adjustments of being very intentional with um, people before I leave, um, making sure things there, there's been one trip where uh, the guide told us you might want to have your will set in place. You know, you might want to mm. be sure and hug your family and we don't know what we're going to get into here. And so we said, OK, so I've had to be more thoughtful about making every moment of my life count and settling certain things. Yeah. One of the things you touched on there was, and it's something that we talk about a lot here at our church, because we have a, a bigger church with lots of um, different cultures, backgrounds, nationalities, we have well over 50 and it's extremely diverse. Like some churches say they're diverse mm -hmm. and, and they are to a degree where they have like one or two of, of 
20 different groups. I mean, we, there is no, uh, cultural group that dominates our church. It is extremely diverse. The leadership staff is extremely diverse. Yeah. But because of that, we, we talk a lot about the culture of Christ. Mm -hmm. So you have your culture, you should, you should have, you know, affinity to it. You should love it to a degree, but above that is the culture of Christ. And I think that would, uh, do, um, Americans well to, understand that and that was one thing that i really had to adjust to i have my own opinions and so on and so forth but above my opinion is the culture of christ is this adding to the body of christ is this helping you know the mission of the church or is it just something that i like right. or something that i prefer you know and especially being uh, i'm not a third culture kid but um being raised in america but living in australia very similar but australia is ha is more similar it's more like canada than it would be mm -hmm. like america so if you if you're coming from the bible belt if you're coming from a very uh, right-leaning background and you come to australia you're going to be very frustrated right. so you have to you have to abandon that because god hasn't called me to establish a a right-wing <laughs> party in australia he's called me to reach the country however i can wherever i can right. and and that also is goes into asia and anyway the point is, is that the culture of Christ supersedes that. And I think that's really what you're getting at there is that sometimes you have to leave those things behind because, yeah, you, you don't want your state, you don't want your country, you know, going completely off the rails. And some of these things are a bit crazy. There is advocacy, but you haven't been called just to be an advocate. You've been right. called to be a disciple. Well, we are all here for the kingdom. There's, there's mm -hmm. no democracy in the kingdom. There's, there's just mm -hmm. not. And these are kingdom principles from the word of God that is, uh, um, oh man, I, I don't want to say irrespective. I don't think that's a word, um, but, <laughs> but the concept, it's, it, it doesn't care about our democratic um, views of voting, of if we get a say mm -hmm. or if we get a vote. It just, it, it doesn't care. The kingdom is the kingdom. And um, I want as many people in the kingdom as possible. So I can sure shut my mouth and my opinions for that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about priorities. W would you be able to, I know you can't get into specifics, but can you share with us some testimonies of what God has been doing, uh, where, you, where you've been planted, where you've served around the world? Yes. Um, I've, I've been overseas quite, quite a bit this year. Um, and what I'm seeing is that there are a lot of young adults and even teenagers, but definitely young adults that are being recruited um, from the states and other parts of the world to go and serve. So the cause of the underground church is um, becoming less of a far out romanticized, dangerous view. And it's becoming more of a reality of how can we go and serve? How can we, you know, just spend two or three or months or, you know, maybe nine, 10 months overseas. So there are a lot of our, um, our United States, uh, young adults that are being recruited and we're thankful for that. And they're doing great over, um, helping and strengthening the church. The underground church is growing rapidly. Uh, we, none of us are under the assumption that one missionary, um, goes in and shoulders the load and everyone bows to them and that's it. Um, that's, that's just not how the church spreads overseas. It's not actually how it spread in the book of Acts either. It was 
house to house disciples and people reaching other people, sharing all things common. And so we're seeing a lot of that. Um, there are a lot of persecuted believers that are feeling very empowered and strengthened and um, really just a boldness that we've prayed for because they're seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, and they are just spreading this gospel like wildfire, truly. Um, we're seeing that and we're seeing the churches growing. We're seeing we're seeing it break out into uh, not just church buildings because those those are not uh, legal, um, but we're, right. we're seeing a lot of sharing in homes, um, a lot of beautiful moments of the presence of God happening. There's, there's something that I can't share right now that is massive in the works, absolutely massive, um, where there are a lot of um, our friends of, of another religion, um, top leaders of, of these religions that are coming and seeking full truth. And God is aligning our paths with them in such a beautiful way. I, again, I wish I could say everything. Um, there is, there's also something happening where, where the United States missionaries even um, cannot go. We are doing a lot of prayer walks, and we are finding that you know we we won't see those results immediately or initially, maybe even for several years. But the reports that are coming back to us and how we're getting divinely connected with these people, they're saying, God met me in a dream and said, my name is Jesus, mm -hmm. follow me. And so what they are doing is they're, they're, they're bold and they're, they're going and seeking answers from other people. And so as they're on this trail seeking answers from other people, they're like, hey, well, when you find him, let me know. Or when you find this out, let me know. And whenever you let me know, you know, so, so God is meeting these people in their bedrooms, you know, waking them up at night and they are already having groups of five, 10, 15 people to bring inside of an underground church. So it's like the Lord is just, just drawing them in droves. That's what's happening. Oh, that, that's amazing. That, that is, that is so great to hear. And, uh, it, it is a bit sad that you can't get too specific, but, uh, it's encouraging to, to hear those things. And, and I've been, in areas like that where you really can't get into specifics just because you want to protect the the members that are there, the missionaries that are there, um, you know, because we want them to stay there. Right. <laughs> we don't want them to feel like they have to leave. I know uh, Brother uh, Shalm talks about how um, he, he got into a situation where he actually had to leave uh, where he really felt called to be, and, and we don't want that to, to happen to, to these others that are there. Right. Um, a lot of people struggle uh i like i've asked this to a number of people especially people who have um said yes to challenging circumstances and uh, a lot of people struggle with leaving a comfortable situation um to follow where they feel like god might be leading them uh you touched on it a little bit but would you mind to go into a little bit more detail how were you able to rise above comfort and go into a place that um obviously based on what you've shared, it's not comfortable. Um, again, the, the friend that you have had um, on your podcast is a huge influence in my life, um, has really, really led me on this journey, he and his wife. And we had a very critical conversation um, when I knew that I was faced with the choice of, of I could go to America and I guess the word is evangelize, you know, um, and, and go around, which which I am doing, um, but he he very uh, kindly said to me, you have a choice. 
you can do this and you will probably become very popular and many, many people will know your name. Or you can take this route and go underground, sacrifice your freedoms of expression and maybe one person of another religion, maybe one Muslim will be saved and not many people will know your name and your name won't be able to be seen in big lights. And he looked at me and he said, and either is fine because the kingdom is the kingdom and people will come into the kingdom, but you have to decide what is God asking you to do. And that was, that was a moment and and in his way that he does in his very wise way of how he speaks and lays things out. I truly felt like he, he and God would be pleased with either decision of what, whatever, because souls would be added to the kingdom. But it was the way that God was leading me in my life at that particular moment. And so I chose the second option, not to be noble or, or any, anything like that, or not because it was romanticized danger and, you know, the unknown, not, not so that anyone would, would think higher of me, but because I knew that if, if I was going to be able to stand before the Lord one day and open up this book right here, this book of, of, of words that we call the gospel, the good book. And if I'm going to open up to the book of Acts and I'm going to read it, if I'm going to insert my life as our friend Francis Chan says, could, could I insert my life inside of this book and it still read well? Could, could I insert my story of how I'm living my life as a Holy Ghost filled believer into this Bible and would it would it still read well? Would it even fit? Did I give up everything and make all things common or did I sit on TikTok all day and go to church twice a week? What what did I do? And so I th- I think in answering that question, it's just it's very important to ask yourself to not compare your journey with anyone else, but to ask yourself, God, if if this is really real, if I am a real book of Acts believer, am I living in accordance to the obedience of the scripture that you have laid out. And that will look different for every person. For some people Mm -hmm. that will be taking a $50,000 a year pay cut to work at a job that every, that God wants everyone saved at that job and knows that you're the key to do it. Sometimes it, it won't look like, you know, sacrificing this or that, or going to this country Sometimes it it really will be, no, I'm not going to take that job. I'm going to take this job because God is leading me to, to a yes right here to say yes mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, that's good. And, and what would you say to someone who feels like they're being called to something that, that is beyond them? You know, they are being called to an uncomfortable situation, but they know that God's calling them. What would you say to them as someone who has... Um, been on that journey for a number of years now. A wise person told me one time, they said, it's not a miracle if you could produce it yourself. A miracle is when only God could produce that outcome. And so I would say if if you're being called to something that is beyond you, may it always be beyond you. May it always be completely out of your skill set and talent and reach to achieve. May it may it always be so big that the king himself would have to decree it to be possible. 
and I, I think that, um, I, and I don't know the spirit of the land, you know, in Australia, I don't know everything that you guys are up against and facing, but I do know that in America, we are plagued with comfort. Um, we are, are plagued with this lackadaisical, um, complacency really. And so, um, with that, we have to fight against that every single day. We, we have to fight against that every single day. And I would say that if it's beyond you, then you're probably on the right track. Yeah. Something along those lines, something that, that I've experienced this year is that, um, and obviously, you know, people all over the world experience this. And when they say yes to the call of God, you know, the miracles are on the other side of the yes. The, the, the hand of God, seeing the hand of God move in a very definitive way is on the other side of that step of faith. And often I know as a young person growing up, I wanted to see the miracles. I wanted to see, you know, God, um, moving in a mighty way in my life and in, in, uh, the church that I'm in and so on and so forth. But what I've learned is yes, that will happen in a general sense. Um, but you, uh, see it in a more focused way on the other side of a big step of faith. Do, right. do you agree with that? I do. I do agree with that. And I think that when you are used to living a life of faith, and I mean, that's a hard saying. I don't mean used to. When you are in the discipline of practicing living a life of faith, you are so much more prone to to seeing miracles everywhere and provision mm-hmm. everywhere. And um, yeah, the, just the miraculous supernatural ways of almighty God everywhere. Um, when you are in that mode of disciplining your mind and your flesh to walk in that, whereas whenever, you know, we just believe in this low hum of complacency of like, Oh yeah, well, that's great. You know, and, and that happened because I'm saved by works because I'm a good Christian and I, I work hard to be a good Christian, you know, and, and now I'm preaching. And so I will stop. I will rewind myself immediately. <laughs> and stop. But no, that's, uh, that's absolutely true. Yeah, uh, no, th- that's fine. It, you know, we, we want to have uh, some difficult conversations on the podcast as well. You know, we want this to be a blessing to people, but we also want it to challenge them. And that's mm-hmm. why we have guests on like yourself to challenge people out of the, those modes of complacency when, you know, we're in a comfortable situation and we're just used to it. And it's like, yes, God is using me here. As you said, there was those two options. You could do this. And yeah, being an evangelist, it, it is a challenge. I don't want to say it's easy, right. but it's more comfortable, you know, and, and being able to go from church to church with, with the ministry that you have, with the um, the ability to speak that you have, you know, that those doors are going to open up. And, um, but then on the other side is, is the, the, the hard road is also, you know, a journey that's going to be full of faith. Yes, you will have faith when you're going church to church and evangelism, I don't want to diminish that because no, we need I that. Understand. But on the other side, there there is a, a different, I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's just different that, you know, you're not getting those huge rewards. Uh, like, for example, for us, we're playing the church this year. Uh, you know, we're not seeing 10 people filled with the Holy Ghost on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I see uh, a person who's coming for the first time or first few times and uh, tears are going down, rolling down their cheeks in a worship service, man, that's huge for me, you know? And, um, I I've talked to some of our mutual friends that are on location and, and we were talking about that, uh, in a conversation and he was like, you know, you just have to, um, redefine what a win is for you. Right. 
because of the situation that you're in, because of, of, of what you're allowed to do and, and the people you're trying to reach. But yeah, I, I didn't want to get on a soapbox, but I, I think that it's important to, to talk about these things. You know, we, we don't want, we don't want to be complacent. We don't want this medium, this podcast to turn into just an entertainment value, but we want it to challenge people, you know, to, to step out. And if I may say one more thing, Greg, you, you said something about uh, defining what a win is for you. Um, I, I am, I'm a little bothered by what people view as success in the church because there are many times where it does not mirror success in the kingdom. And mm. what God has called me to do is very case sensitive to my purpose with him that he has called and breathed into me with him. And I am not a success personally, like in my walk with God, if I am trying to copy and paste my ministry out of or, or uh, from Nona Freeman. And I mean that mm. so respectfully. I have read her books. I, I reread her books. I have drawn so much strength from her testimony in her life, but I am not called to do exactly what she is called to do. And I say that as humbly as possible. I say that with, with zero arrogance. She, she was called to something that was in a totally different league than me. And I don't mean higher or lower. I mean, her purpose was case sensitive for what God breathed inside of her mm. And, and I, yes, I do read her books and I am inspired and I have faith and it has, it's given me some direction in prayer. I mean, I'm not discounting her life or her legacy whatsoever, but I think that even in missions and pastoring and, in, in um, any sort of ministry, any, any sort of life, we have this tendency to want to copy and paste and not listen to exactly what God is telling us to do. And many times it will it will be completely beyond our capability of accomplishing it. But if we continue to strive in faith and in that path that God has directed, that is when he will say, well done for us, mm. not for what we are mm. trying to become like someone else. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I think that echoes back to what you said earlier about recognizing and hearing the voice of God. Mm. That will help you. That will help you define what a win is in your ministry as opposed to, as you say, copying and pasting or looking at how, how someone else is being used and, and what God is doing in their life. Um, I, I do ask this question to every person who comes on the podcast, so I'd be remiss if I skipped it. Um, when it comes to ministry, what is it that is that driving force for you? What is it that, that really fuels you when it comes to ministry? I don't, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but this is honest. So I will, I will, I will just say that. Is it Starbucks? Please don't say Starbucks. <laughs> no, oh, dear God. Me and my friend did have a conversation one time and he said, how do you think the apostles did it without coffee? Like, how, how do you think they did it? And I'm like, well, they're probably. They slept at night. <laughs> they, no, they, they sabbathed for one. Yeah, I won't, that's true. I won't even go into all that, but uh, I might. But no, um, I don't know. I don't know how the apostles did it all. What drives me is, and again, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but it's honest. As a child and even as a teenager, um, I had some unfortunate uh, interactions with leaders. I had, um, I had church hurt. I did. 
and I very, very vividly remember being cast aside, made fun of, um, being picked on as, as a child, even into a teenager, you know, excluded and different things. And I just had genuine questions. I just had genuine questions about, and a hunger for the deep things of God. And I was an oddball as we all were at 12, 13, 14, 15 Hmm. years old. And the people that made time for me and made me feel like a 25 year old made all of the difference in the world. And so there is an element of me that my why comes from. I don't want any student or child or young adult or teenager or even young married couple to feel the way that I have felt and to feel um, less than or not empowered. I am forever indebted to the people around me that that esteemed me and made a place at their table for me and said, you can bring your weirdness here. You know, like, like we can talk about it together. We can, we can open up this word and figure it out together. And I wouldn't be here without those people that made a place for me. And so in ministry, um, I'm, I'm constantly studying the gospels. Not that the rest of the word is not important. That is not what I'm saying, but I'm constantly studying the gospels and how Jesus interacted with people, how he made a place for people um, the, the boundaries he even set for himself, for his own rest, his concessions that he made, retreating into the mountains and then going out and breaking social barriers all the time. And that really is what drives me truly, because I know and can name you and can spend another hour on this podcast, naming you names of people that did that for me. And Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in the kingdom of God today, working in the kingdom of God, if it weren't for those people. So that's, that's really what drives me. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And yeah, we can all, those of us who were raised in church, those of us who have come to God, we can all point to those people who were instrumental in our lives. And it's almost like a pay it forward program. Yes. You know? It's our responsibility to, to leave those fingerprints on others so that they can pass that on and continue to grow. You know, this has been a, a great conversation. Uh, I was so much looking forward to it and I really have enjoyed our time together. Uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, finish off all these conversations by giving you an opportunity, the guest, uh, to share a word uh, with our listeners, uh, something specific for this podcast. Again, thank you so much for, for saying yes to this and, and coming on the podcast here today. Well, Greg, thank you so much for having me. Um, uh, you don't know how many times people talk to me and they're like, hey, have you heard of the Hackapod? <laughs> have you heard of that one? And I'm like, I have heard, I have heard. So, so it's, it's truly been an honor and I, I really appreciate that. I think what I would leave everyone with is um, just in light of everything that's been said. And this is something that is continually uh, working on me. God is working this over in me every day of my life is just go love people and make friends that don't look like you, talk like you, dress like you, think like you, or vote like you, and just be a student of everyone and love them. Just love them with the love of God that that He has loved you. I often am in conversations with um, people and and they are talking about like their tables and, and who's at their table, and I'm I'm so thankful for that sermon that I feel that um, resonated throughout our movement. And I, I have no qualms about it. I've, I apply it to my own life. 
And I, I do understand that concept of the people at your table that can speak into your life. But if there is an extension of that table that would look like the Last Supper, it would potentially include someone that would betray you. And it would potentially include, you know, someone that said that they loved you and then they just, you know, got scared and kind of freaked out and, and told people, I don't know you, you know. But, but at that table, it, it does require love and it requires a mixture of people that just don't think, look, dress, act, vote like us. And so I would just encourage everybody listening, just love the people that God created and love them back to Him.